Romans 15, verses 22 through 33. Paul says, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, we broke this section of Scripture and this section of Paul's letter down last week, but tonight what we're going to do is we're going to deal with what happened to Paul after he wrote this letter. Did he go to Jerusalem? Remember, he said he was going to go to Jerusalem with this love gift for the poor in Jerusalem? Did he go to Rome? And did he go to Spain? We're going to be dealing with that tonight. Now, we got to remember Proverbs 16, verse 9. Go to Proverbs chapter 16 and look at verse 9. We touched on this last week, but let me just kind of refresh your memories. In Proverbs 16, verse 9, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We looked last week at the fact that Making plans is good. The Bible teaches us to make plans. Yet, we should also, while making our plans, make sure that we let the Holy Spirit guide how they all come to fruition or whether they, we either get there. As you know, Philip was told to leave Samaria, head down the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, but God never intended him to get to Gaza. He followed God's plan for his life, yet God was sending him toward Gaza. On his way, the Spirit leads him over the Ethiopian eunuch, and next thing you know, he's an Azadus. We, too, should have a plan. We should do what we believe God is leading us to do. We should be following the direction that we believe God has put in our hearts and make plans to do so. Yet, at the same time, we should have an attitude that says, God's God and my plan is not God. That's why I struggle sometimes with churches who make their staff members set goals and then they judge them at the end of the year whether or not they met their goals. That kind of takes God out of the picture in some of those situations. We have to be real careful. James even tells us in the book of James chapter 4, he said, don't don't say tomorrow we'll go to this city and we're going to make money and all this stuff. Say if the Lord wills. There's nothing wrong with making a plan to go into a city and make some money, but let God be God. And so Paul's plan, he's going to Jerusalem. We've already read last week that he's collected this money for the saints and his original plan was to just send it. But he said, if it appears that I need to go with it, I will. And He does, as you're about to see. And then his plan is to go to Rome, and we're going to see that he does. And then his plan is to go to Spain. After that, we don't know yet. And as you're going to see by the end of our study, we won't fully understand. I'm going to answer some of those questions tonight. But what I want to do is I want to just kind of remind you, you're in Proverbs 16, I mean Proverbs 19, Try again, 16, verse 9. Go to Proverbs 16, verse 3. Let me give you a couple more scriptures real quick that kind of hit this and hit it home, hit, hit it home hopefully. Proverbs 16, look at verse 3. 
Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Let what you have in mind be what God wants and he'll make it work. Go to Proverbs 19. Look at verse 21. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Go over Proverbs chapter 20. Look at verse 24. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? We know Romans 11, 33 through 36 talks about how the wisdom of God and who's ever known the mind of God and all this stuff. Who's ever been his counselor? But if you go to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, if you lay your body on the altar and renew your mind, not being conformed to the pattern of this world, then you will be able to know what his will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You're never going to fully understand and figure God's plans all out. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Yet, he does have a plan that he has for each of us, and he will direct us on a daily basis on how to walk in that, and you'll know what his plan for you is. Go to Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10, look at verse 23. Jeremiah 10, verse 23. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. That is, it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. So, are we to just sit home? According to these scriptures and wait and let God do stuff? No, we're to plan. We're to, we're to, we're to, well, Paul tried to go into Asia, but the Spirit wouldn't let him. He had a plan, but he was listening to the Spirit. But he didn't just say, I'll just go sit home until I get a word from the Lord. No, the scripture says, then he tried to go into Mysia. Why? Jesus had said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples. So he was trying to do what Jesus said, but he was at the same time listening to the Lord. And of course, if you know that story in Acts 16, he ended up in Macedonia. Go to Psalm 37. Look at verses 23 and 24. Psalm 37, 23 and 24. I heard Sheila over there saying this is one of her favorites. It's mine too, so you have to get another one. Psalm 37, look at verses 23 and 24. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand. Did you catch that? If your heart's desire is to do the will of God, even if you make mistakes in the process, God will take that and work it out for good. If you know anything about the story of, of Jesus when he was arrested and Peter swinging the sword, well, if you actually had read just a few verses prior to it, Jesus had just told him, if you don't have a sword, go sell your coat and get one. Of course, they said, well, we got two. He goes, that's, not a, that's enough. I wasn't literally wanting you to go get swords, but he had just said, get a sword. So when Peter swings his sword, he thinks he's doing the will of God. Jesus had just said, get a sword. And that's why he said, shall we strike with our swords, the two that you just referenced? Of course, Jesus said, that's not exactly what I meant. And Jesus cleans up after Peter, and he can clean up after you and I. But if your heart is to do the will of God, he can even use your mistakes. Folks, we have a wonderful God, and Satan wants to come along and not let you hear from God or know what God's will is. And then once you do, he's going to say, do it right now, if God's saying wait. Or he's going to say, you better do it perfectly. And God says, no, just, just walk with me. I'm, I'm pretty good at using flawed instruments to get my stuff done. We all know Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding 
in all your ways acknowledge who? Him. And He will what? He'll direct your paths. The scriptures are full of the fact that we should have an idea of where we're headed and what we believe God is wanting us to do, because anything not done by faith is sin. Yet at the same time, we should also be letting God take care of how it all works out. Many of us get off the path of following Jesus because all of a sudden it doesn't go like we thought it would or we wanted it to go. Paul did go to Jerusalem with the financial love gift that he collected for the saints there. Go to Acts 21. I'm about to take you on a journey through the book of Acts. And to be honest with you, I'm going to preach a little, but I'm going to read to you a lot tonight. Because this is a fun story to follow. This journey of Paul on the way to Jerusalem, then to Rome, and then hopefully to Spain. We have some accounts of it. In Acts 21, look at verses 15 through 19. It says, after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to, uh, us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So here we see in Acts chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, that Paul did show up in Jerusalem. But I got to take you back to chapter 20, though, to kind of set the stage of what's about to happen. God had already warned Paul ahead of time that his visit to Jerusalem wasn't going to be easy. The Lord had told him to go, as you're about to see. But the Lord had also said, don't assume that my telling you to go means it's all going to be smooth. It actually won't be, but I still want you to go. Go to Acts chapter 20. Look at verses 22 through 24. Paul says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. You see how the it's capital S in your Bibles. He's compelled, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what specifically will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I don't count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So he said, I'm the Holy Spirit's telling me to go to Jerusalem. I don't know the specifics of what's going to happen, but I've been warned that hardship and imprisonment await me. Go to Acts 21 and look at verses 7 through 14, the verses just prior to what we just read about him getting to Jerusalem in, in 21:15. We'll start in verse 7. Acts 21, verse 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. Now on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem, then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. So now Paul has already said in another town, I'm constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's told me that there's going to be hardship when I go. 
He gets to this other town, a prophet takes Paul's belt, ties his own hands and feet and says, thus says the Holy Spirit, the owner of this belt will be bound when he goes to Jerusalem. The rest of the church took that as, you're not supposed to go. But it actually lined up with what Paul had already heard from the Lord. And he said, actually, this is confirmation that what I heard is right. And I'm willing not only to be in prison, but die if I have to. And they were like, well, that's not how we see it. But you're the one walking with the Lord and not us. And when he wouldn't be persuaded, they said, let the will of the Lord be done. But there's something we all need to hear in this story. I got no problem with you coming to me one day and saying, Jim, I think God wants me to tell you something. And I will tell you, I'd love to hear it. But let me clarify something for you ahead of time. If you share with me something that I have not heard before and God hasn't been talking to me about it, I'm going to reject it. Because God, who lives within me, will never tell you something that he hasn't already been talking to me about. He wouldn't tell you to tell me something when he lives within me. That's foolishness. Oh, I've got a word from the Lord for you. No, no, no. He lives within me, and he'll give me that word. Now, if what you share with me is something the Holy Spirit's been talking to me about, and it lines up with what he's been saying, I'll receive it as confirmation. Do you understand? God does use other believers to confirm what he's saying, but don't you dare go and try to follow a prophecy that someone gave you when it was the first time you'd heard of it. The enemy likes to talk like he's God too, and he'd love to send you on a rabbit trail. So now, God's predictions and preparings for Paul came true. Go to Acts 21, look at verses 27 through 36. Acts 21, 27 through 36 when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with chains, with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done, and some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another, and as he couldn't learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of people followed, crying out, Away with him! But do you know, in the midst of that chaos of Paul being attacked and beaten by the mob, even though they're accusing him of things he didn't do, saying he was saying things that he hadn't been saying. In the midst of that chaos, God used this as an opportunity one more time for Paul to preach to the Jews. In the midst of this, look at what happens in Acts 21, 37 through 22, 21. And Paul was about to be brought into the, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian, then, who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and then there was a great hush. 
he addressed them in he, the Hebrew language. So he speaks to the tribune in Greek, and the guy goes, you know Greek? And then he speaks to the Jews in Hebrew. He says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day. I persecuted this way to the death, that's Christianity, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take also those who were there and to bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Now as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, when he said that he was then to go to the Gentiles, how do you think the Jews reacted? They didn't want to hear anymore, and they wanted him killed. But then God gave Paul another hearing. We're going to see this next. Go to Acts 23 and look at the verses 1 through 11. He gives Paul another hearing now in front of the exact same group of guys that got together to condemn Jesus. Acts 23, verse 1, And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? Paul said, I, did, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisees. It's with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. 
Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. Now listen closely. The following night, the Lord stood by him, stood by Paul and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. That's important. So I'm going to ask you a question now. So does Paul ever make it to Rome? Okay, your answer is yes. But my question for you is, what are you basing your yes on? There's nothing wrong with saying, well, the scripture says he made it, because that's true. That is the word of God. But I want you to go back. Jesus has just come and told Paul, you will testify in Rome. Guess what? That means he's going to Rome. As you're going to see, a lot's about to happen to Paul, and it sure looks like he ain't going to make it. But if God says you will go to Rome, put it in the bank. You're going to Rome. God's not a God who's going to say, well, I, I know I said that, but I didn't really. No, if he said it, it's going to happen. Whatever door he opens, no man can shut. We need to know this, folks. That's why we need to know the will of God and we need to know the word of God. We need to know what his promises are. We need to know what he has said because there are going to be things that happen to us in our lives that sure look like what God has promised isn't going to happen. And we need to hold on to what he has said. Go to Acts chapter 23. Look at verses 12 through 15. Here's the first thing that makes it look like he's not going to make it to Rome. Acts 23 verses 12 through 15. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Forty men make a vow. We won't eat anything until we've killed him. So all you need to do is go to the tribune, the Roman tribune, ask him to bring Paul to you one more time. You want to examine him a little bit more. And here was a plot to kill him. By the way, if they say we will not eat anything until he's dead, until we kill him, are they pretty serious about it? I think they're pretty serious. I've often wondered, did they all die? Uh, if they're true to their vow, they did. But God intervenes. And listen to how God intervenes using Paul's nephew. Go to Acts 23, verses 16 through 22. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. 
But do not be persuaded by them, for more than forty of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one what, that you have informed me of these things. Isn't that interesting? First off, a young boy is able to get into the barracks and get word to Paul. And on top of that, he was then able to, God used a young boy who probably didn't have a whole lot of street cred with the Roman soldiers. And on top of that, the Roman soldier took him to the tribune. Think about the culture of that day and the mindset of the royal Roman soldiers and how they were very proud and they're not going to take any advice from any little kid. I mean, we're going to do what we're going to do and you Jews can't do anything about it. Yet God miraculously used the little boy and the tribune listened and God protected him. So Paul now is moved from Jerusalem to Caesarea to be brought before the governor, Felix. Jump over to chapter 23, verses 23 through 35. So then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency the Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him. Having learned that he was a Roman citizen and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from, and when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive, and he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. So now Paul is brought before the governor Felix in Caesarea, and he now gets to share his testimony of Jesus' saving him before the Roman governor. Don't let that slip by you either. Remember the plot to kill him? The plot to kill him was actually used to get him before the governor, Felix. Isn't that cool? We would say, oh, God, they're out to get me. God says, I can use all of man's wicked plans to accomplish my purposes. So go to chapter 24, look at verses 1 and following. After the five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world, and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. 
You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take, turn one page instead of two, take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Or let these men themselves say what wrongfully or wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it's with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I'll decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was, a Jew, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. At the same time, he had hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do to the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now, there's a lot of interesting things going on here. As Paul shares his testimony, the governor Felix starts getting pricked by the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? And the Holy Spirit starts to work on him, and he quickly goes, Oh, oh, oh that's enough for today. That's enough for today. And he would bring him back every now and then. But why was he bringing him back? Because he wanted to learn some more or he wanted, he wanted the, the bribes, the scripture says. He was hoping Paul was going to grease his palm. But interestingly enough, how long is Paul now ending up in Caesarea? Two years. Again, put yourself in Paul's shoes. God told him to go to Jerusalem and he had hoped to go to Rome on the way to Spain. When he went to Jerusalem, he wasn't sure if he's going to make it to Rome because he knew that hardship and imprisonment, and he's willing to die in Jerusalem if that was the Lord's will. But God came and stood by him and said, you will testify in Rome. Yet, immediately after hearing that, and thank God he heard that, he was found out about this plot of 40 men to kill him. And they weren't going to eat or drink until they had done so. But then on top of that, he's protected, as God did, through the nephew, and he's brought to Caesarea, and now he's got an opportunity to preach to more Roman leadership, which is an amazing opportunity. Even those, a man, this man who knew the, the, the truth of Christianity and the way well, his wife was a Jew, he had a deep understanding of these truths, and the Holy Spirit's working on him. And then he actually leaves, and another guy comes in, and now Paul is sitting in this prison. Of course, his friends are allowed to visit him and stuff at this and is, and is being held as a prisoner, but he's now sitting there for two years. How many of us, when we heard God say, you're going to Rome, would have started packing the bags? Because we assume 
If God's going to show up and say, you're going to Rome, we just kind of fill in the rest of the pieces. That must mean soon. Folks, let me tell you, God's made you a promise or two, and you've even heard him speak to you about something. But it sure doesn't look like it's going to happen. And you're tempted to come, become discouraged. You need to be reminded of the truth. As you're going to see, Paul even gets discouraged. Paul in his journey gets discouraged, but our God is a God who is really wonderful about coming alongside of us to remind us of the truth. And that's why we need each other as well. You, you say something, Rick? Just previously they had said he profaned the temple. It's, it's interesting, in 24 they said he tried to profane the temple. Yep. They accused him of doing it, now, they're, now their story's changing. Yep. All right. So my question to you is, He's been now sitting in this prison in Caesarea for two years. Is he going to really make it to Rome? The answer is right, yes. But how do you know this? Because God said so. Because God said so. Festus replaces Felix, and Paul now gets to preach before him. But not only to him, but also to King Agrippa. Not just governors now. He's going before kings. King Agrippa and Bernice. By the way, just like God had said back when Paul was getting saved. Go to Acts chapter 9. Put a bookmark here in Acts. Uh, we're going to pick up in 26. But I want you to go back to Acts chapter 9. Look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, talking to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Did you catch that? By the way, folks, do you know that God had a plan for you before you were born? And as you learn to rest in him, his plans and his purposes for you will be accomplished. We, unfortunately, in the church today have tried to speed it up. We in the church today have tried to help God. We've come up with marketing plans and schemes and strategies and programs, all that appear to be good, but they're actually pulling us away from dependence on Him. Instead of saying, Lord, this is your plan. I believe you've led us in this direction. How would you have us go? Go to Acts 26. Look at verses 1 through 32. So Agrippa says to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. This is the king Agrippa. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it's before you, king Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you're familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I'm accused by the Jews. O king, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. 
And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in the corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. <laughs> then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now I skipped over that section because of time, but he's already said, look, I need to go to Caesar because you guys aren't going to be listening to me. And I really need, because they were trying to get him. The Romans at that time were saying, well, let's just have you go back and try it in Jerusalem. And he knew about the plot. He said, no, uh, I appealed to Caesar, which every Jewish person that was a born as a Jew, I'm sorry, every Roman citizen was born as a Roman citizen, had that right. And so they said, okay. Now there's a lot here, and again, time-wise, I can't pull it all out as much as I'd like to, but let me just say this to you. Isn't it interesting how Festus started to realize that Paul was preaching to King Agrippa, and Festus quickly tried to say, oh, but Paul, you're, you're out of your mind. But the Holy Spirit was speaking to Agrippa. Folks, don't, don't get embarrassed for Jesus if God's starting to work on somebody. Let him. By the way, you do know that the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul right now in each of these situations, right? And have you noticed in the midst of these messages, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles? They know, he's, the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul, they know what I'm saying is true. They know. And the Holy Spirit's just speaking right to the Jews who are there listening. You know. Folks, everyone's without excuse. 
I'm going to say for those, because I don't know who's here listening online, but let me tell you, if you're fighting against this truth of the gospel, be honest with yourself. You know that it's true. And the only reason you're not submitting to it is because you don't want, you, you don't want someone else being in control of your life. You want to be in control. But let me just tell you, there comes a point where if God's opened your eyes and you keep rejecting it, there comes a point where he says, you've had your opportunity. If he's opened your eyes, if you've tasted of the heavenly gift, respond now. Respond now. Submit yourself to Jesus Christ. Festus now, as I said, has said, and King Agrippa has said, since he's appealed to Caesar, he's going to go to Caesar. So Paul's now on a ship. We're jumping through his story here. He's now on a ship that is headed to Rome. Finally. Yes, ma'am. Go for it. Well, the fact that he appealed to Caesar, he would have been released if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. So God had him appeal to Caesar so that he would continue to go to Rome. Exactly. He, he would have been released if he had appealed to Caesar. But because he had appealed to Caesar, he can now go to Rome like God had said. If he had been released, he may or may not. But he's done what God's told him to do. You're right. So we would say he's on a ship going to Rome. He's finally going to make it to Rome. Well, if you know the story, not quite. You all know what happened to this ship? It's shipwrecked. It's sunk. The whole thing was destroyed. But God gives Paul another encouragement that his word would be true, that he will go to Rome. Go to Acts 27. Look at verses 20 through 26. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Don't miss that. All hope of our being saved was last abandoned. Paul, Luke's writing this, but don't you think that includes Paul? There came a point here where Paul even said, I guess it looks like it's not going to happen. Oh, but keep reading. Since they had been without food or for a long time, for, for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Oh, man, it's another message for another time. How God's going to do what he said he's going to do. Oh, but we're going to have a shipwreck between now and then. But don't miss that. God comes and visits Paul again. And listen to what God says. Paul, hey, you're getting a little scared right now. You're losing a little bit of hope. Don't be afraid. And let me tell you, you're not only going to go to Rome. I'm also going to bless you with the fact that everybody on this ship is going to be saved too. And you can encourage them with that. Go back to Romans 15. Look at verses 4 through 6 and then verse 13. Let me remind you again of who God is. Romans 15, verses 4 through 6. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through what? The encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another and accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God, glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jump to verse 13. May the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God's a God of endurance, but he's also a God of encouragement. And folks, as things get worse, and I've been talking with some of you beforehand about the nuts, nutty things that are happening in our world and things are getting sicker and sicker. Folks, don't get discouraged. Finish well. Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Well, Jim, how do you know? I think you already know the answer to that. I just quoted what God has said. He has said. On this island they ended up on, by the way, after being shipwrecked, Paul has another thing happen to him that make anyone think that he's definitely not going to Rome. Go to Acts 28, look at verses 1 through 5. After we were brought safely through, we learned, then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness where they kindled the fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. It didn't just bite him. It stayed there and drained his, his poison. Fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man's a murderer. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Isn't that interesting? How many of us, after all this, would, after being bitten by the stake, go, <laughs> I thought I was going to Rome. God, you said I was going to Rome, but look, nobody survives this. I guess I'm not going to Rome. But actually, Paul didn't do that. He had just had another visit from the Lord to encourage him and say, listen, I said it and you didn't. <laughs> I don't want you to think that you didn't hear me right. You heard me right. You're going to Rome. So what does Paul do? Oh, I love this. He shakes the serpent off into the fire. Let me say that to you again. You might not have caught it. He shakes the serpent off into the fire. Satan the serpent, that ancient devil, is going to hell. He is going to the lake of fire. Oh, he's going to come between now and then and bite you and try to attack you and make you doubt and make you worry and make you fear. But you need to know what God has promised and you need to just shake him off into the fire. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Folks, we who are Christians, the reason why we're freaking out like everybody else is we don't know what God has said. We don't know the promises. Or even though we know them, we might have been a little bit slack in believing them. Hey, has the Lord promised that he'll finish what he started with you? Well, what about those times when Satan comes to you and says, well, it looks like you're not going to finish well. Does he promise that those whom he saves, he will not lose any of us? Oh, yeah. Oh, but then Satan's worked us all over a time or two to question whether or not we're really saved because we're looking at how good we're doing. Folks, you need to know what he said. You need to believe his word. And you need to keep faithful because God will finish. Oh, but it gets pretty cool. God uses this, too, as an opportunity for Paul to preach Jesus to these people on this island. Go to Acts 28. Look at verses 6 through 10. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and they said he was a god. Now in the neighborhood 
of that place, there were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably. I can't even say it, but you know what I meant. He took care of them. For three days, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put us on board. They put on board whatever we needed. You'd think this would be in a deserted island where who's going to take? Well, God's even got that all taken care of. And not only that, He's also orchestrating someone getting sick at that same time so Paul could pray for him and heal him, and they can hear about Jesus. Do you understand that God's doing a thousand million things all at once? And all we're to do is just walk with him and believe that he'll use us and stop trying to figure out how he's going to use us or when he's going to use us and just live the life that God has for you. And when you look back, you will see all that God did. We try to go do things for God instead of just walking with God. I think Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and, 9, in 18 and 19. He says this, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I'm not wanting you to become fishers of men. I want you to focus on following me. You walk with me, I'll set your appointments up. You don't need to go knock on every door and make your appointments. I want you to walk with me. Follow me, and I'll set your appointments up. So Paul finally arrives in Rome. Go to Acts chapter 28. Look at verse 16 and then verses 30 and 31. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Jump to verses 30 and 31. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Oh, by the way, I, because of time, didn't have time to show you some other stuff in here, but not only does he get to Rome, he actually gets to preach to all the Jews that are in Rome. They actually have a big group of Jews all come to where he is, and he shares the gospel with all the Jews while he's in Rome. Because remember, his heart's still for the Jews, but he also preaches to the authorities in Rome. And he's there for two more years. So let's kind of recap real quick. God had told him, you're going to Jerusalem. And then he also told him, you will make it to Rome. But between Jerusalem, when he had already been told you're going to go through hardship and imprisonment, and going to Rome, what happened to Paul that made it look like he wasn't going to make it? What was the first thing that happened? The death threats, the, 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 the plan of his li- on taking on his life. God took care of that through a nephew. Then he ends up in Caesarea for how long? Two years. Sure looks like it's not going to happen because it's not happening as fast as I thought it was going to happen. But then after that, he gets on a sh- ship, and what happens to the ship? Shipwrecked. And then when he gets out of the shipwreck, he's there on the island. And what happens? He gets bitten by a viper. By the way, these are all getting worse. But even in the midst of that, God comes and touches him another time and reminds him and encourages him. I don't know about you. I need that sometimes. And God doesn't always just do it with a heavenly visit. Sometimes it's a brother or a sister who just at that time as the Lord leads them, sends a note. Gives an encouraging word. Maybe a phone call. Maybe a hug you didn't even know anything about. Years ago, I was at a men's conference that I was speaking at. and It was a church that I was pastor of. And a group of men were all in this 
one hotel that we shared, and we, to save money, put two guys in a bed, four guys in a room, two guys in a bed. And after one night of devotion, I said to the guy who I was going to share a bed with, I said, I'm not going to do this to make you uncomfortable, but I think it will give me more room on the bed tonight. I just told him, I said, I love you. And I gave him a hug. And it wasn't weird. It was just, you're my brother. And I haven't really gotten to spend much time with you, but I want you to know how much I love you. And that was all God told me to tell him. His name's Bob. The next morning, he comes to me privately, and he said, last night, something happened that you don't even know. I said, what's that? He goes, you are the first man that has ever told me he loved me, including my father. And that was used by God to heal me of a bunch of years of wound. I had no idea. All I did was just hug him. But God used it. Does that mean we just go start a ministry of hugging? No, don't try to duplicate it. Some of you like the idea of hugging. Don't try to duplicate it. Just walk with God. Just walk with God. By the way, I'm going to ask you a question. Go back to Romans 15. Remember Paul's prayer in verses 30 and 31? He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let me ask you, did, did God answer his prayer request? Every single bit of it. Was he delivered from the unbelievers in Judea? Yeah. Doesn't mean they didn't attack him, but he was delivered. Oh, did he make it to Rome? And was he refreshed by them? We just read it in Acts 28. For two years they came and blessed him and refreshed him. And what an encouragement that was to him. So here's the question we also wanted to know. You say, Jim, we don't get much time to deal with the question about Spain. Well, that's good, because the answer is real short. Did Paul ever make it to Spain? The honest answer is we don't know. Now, if you want my opinion, and this is Jim's opinion, I think he might have, but we don't know. Some people think, oh, he didn't know. You have no evidence that he didn't, and you have no evidence that he did. But the reason why I lean toward that he did is that early church fathers, one of them named Clement, another one named Jerome, another one Chrysostom, all have writings that he did make it to Spain in between his first imprisonment and when he was killed so many years later in, that, in Rome. Does that mean it happened? No, we don't know. But we also have, and I don't have time to walk you through those and it would bore you anyway, we do have things that Paul says here and there about some thing, places he's been that we don't have recorded in his missionary journeys. So we do know from Scripture there are places he went that we don't have recorded. Is there a possibility he went to Spain? Yes. I lean toward the fact that he did because of how much extra biblical evidence from church, early church fathers acted like it was a done deal, not that he possibly that he did. But I don't know, and you don't know, and it don't matter. You know why? Listen, because that's Paul's 
race. That was Paul's race marked out for Paul, if you will. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We are to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Whether Paul made it to Spain or not, it don't matter. And if you like to argue about it and you want to come up to me afterwards because you're going to prove me right or wrong, save your breath. It's not necessary. We don't know. And that's okay. Because we're not, that's not something we need. But we do know this much. The God that told him he was going to go to Jerusalem and have trouble was right. And the God that told him he was going to go to Rome was right. And the same God that's made promises for you and I, he's going to keep those for you and me too. Next week, we'll finish our study in the book of Rome, Romans. We're going to do all of chapter 16 in one study. And I know I can do it because I've already written the study. I love you. We'll see you, for, see you next week. <laughs>